Good morning, Heart and Soul. Thank you, Ron Marshall, for our opening our devotional this morning. Thank you so much. Hey, Heart and Soul. Uh, I'm grateful. I want to acknowledge Reverend Sonia for being here last week. I was... Um, I accepted an appointment to our Centers for Spiritual Living Leadership Council, and we had our Leadership Council retreat last weekend in Portland, Oregon. <clears throat> so that's where I was. And I am very grateful for that experience and for my willingness to say yes. You know, there was that question in my mind when asked, when I was first asked, I said no. Um, and then it, there were events on the council that just continued to shift in a way where they still needed um, an appointment. And there was just a moment when I was asked that time and I heard so clearly, yes. Now, even though I heard it clearly, <laughs> I still wasn't trying to do it. <laughs> and so I had to, you know, I had to work it out and just realize that, remind myself that this is an adventure in faith. And nothing about that says that it's going to be my way, that it's only going to be the things I like, it's only going to require of me to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, or how I want to do it. And sometimes I just have to take a moment. I know y'all are advanced, so y'all don't go through this. So I'm just going to ask for your patience and your have some empathy and compassion for me as I come along more slowly than y'all have evolved as I do my best to, to work this out, because I truly believe that our wisest intention is to trust divine guidance. And when we determine that that would be our theme for 2023, I don't recall that we had a conversation about the challenge that that would be for us. And I certainly didn't think about how that would challenge me. It felt like, yes, absolutely. And it has been like being on Mr. Toad's wild ride. In the sense that there is always something that shows up beyond my preference. But I declared long ago that I didn't want, I had no intention of living a life based on my preferences. Because what I know about my preferences is that they are formed from the past. And I certainly don't want to form my life out of my past. And so I made that decision long ago not thinking about what it would require of me. And so now I'm at the part where I see what's required of me. And I'm grateful that we meet like this, that we have 
those opportunities for me to work through my stuff. <laughs> I, I am, I, I, I is and I ain't. Um, when I was last here on May 7th, I asked you to read, and I even said study, in our daily read, Guidance for a Spiritual Journey by Dr. Daniel Morgan, I asked you to read and study his offering for May 4th and his offering for May 6th. So if you haven't done that, if you have, yay you, yay. And if you haven't, I'm going to be in that today and it will show up in our recap on Wednesday. If you subscribe to our recap, you'll have that. If you don't yet, this is a good time to do that. If you're in the sanctuary, see somebody after. If you are online, then stay tuned for the chat because the folks there, I know are gonna hook you up. Yeah, folks there? Yeah. I know they're going to hook you up with exactly what you need so that you can subscribe and make sure you have everything you need for this adventure in faith as we are uh, working it, as we are in it, on it together at Heart and Soul Center of Light. This is a pivot. At least this is what I have found. A pivot is required has been required of me to do this mind shift. That's and this mind shift, this pivot, requires mind training. And I think often this is left out of the adventure in faith experience. Because, and I've told you, I love affirmations. They help me train my mind. They're not magic. So I must do the work to create an accepting attitude, consciousness, a willingness to shift. So this mind training that's required is something that I think my sense is that we don't acknowledge it enough. We do it, and many of you have done it because you've already transformed your life. Your life now is different than it was when you were praying for the change. And so some of what happened was mind training. And so for some of you, it has not been a conscious, intentional process. And for some, it has. You've taken classes. You've done the work, you've attended the seminars, the workshops, etc., to support you in shifting your mind. And I'm not mad with those of you who just take the ride. I know some of y'all don't take the classes, you're not reading the stuff, you're not doing it, but it's okay because you are still surrounding yourselves in an energetic. And I'm just joining you and declaring that where you are, is if it's fine with you, it's fine with me. So go ahead, do you. Now, if you want to move to the head of the class, though, and to truly have evidence of what is possible when you trust divine guidance 
and you do the work so that you can recognize what's in alignment with divine guidance. Forgive me, Lord. Please don't let me see nothing else. Whatever happens, please. So look, what I've chosen to, um, to help us to get there is a scripture from John 8 that I think many of us are familiar with. In this particular scripture in John 8, we find the master teacher, Yeshua, that the world ultimately came to call Jesus. We find him teaching. You know, he's, he's with the masses, and so he's He's sharing these ideas, and it doesn't, this scripture doesn't go into what he's teaching. We have an incident. While he's doing this, the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman who they say was caught in the act of adultery. Now, it's a different time, and we don't know what that act of adultery was for them. It could have been looking back at somebody. It could have been allowing you know, her hand may be touching someone. We don't know in terms of that culture and that time. But watch this. Since we're not in that culture and that time, we're going to act just like it says to us what the word means now. But it's less important because she doesn't matter in terms of our learning. We don't need to know her name. We don't need to know her circumstances or her specifics. Why? Because it's us. So essentially, what this is saying when we apply it to self is you've just been caught in something. Now, what it is doesn't matter. Whatever it is, it is the way this is written is you are in violation of divine law. And you are also the Pharisees and the scribes. So you caught you in the wrong. Y'all better ask somebody. Come on now. Look at here. You have caught you in whatever it is. So I'm going to ask you to think about a thing that maybe nobody else knows. I don't care what it is, but you know it. You know it. There's no question in your mind. Now, you may not even be correct with what you thought you did. Do you understand what I'm saying? You may think that your behavior, what you said, what you did, what you didn't say, what you didn't do, caused a certain outcome. And you may be convinced of your guilt or at least your responsibility for that. Now, that may or may not be true, but it doesn't matter because as long as you think it's true, it's true for you. So look, you're the lady, you're the woman in this. You have been caught by you. You have an awareness of what it is that you've done and you're wrong. You were caught in the act of whatever it is. Now, in this story, in the way this is written, they then challenge the master teacher. They think they do. You know, they're forever playing, you know, there's a term for this, but I'm going to catch you and act. I'm going to put you in a situation where you are risking your reputation. So that's what they, they got to get up way earlier, though. 
so look, so the question seems to be, you know, that the law is very clear on this. Caught in the act means, I got to get from over on this side, sorry. <laughs> but um, caught in the act means that the law is very clear on this, that you get stoned. You were caught in the act, and the law at the time says you get stoned. So they are looking to see, so, because they get his nature. They get his nature, and the likelihood that he's going to pick up a stone and start stoning people is between slim and none. So this is the challenge. The trick here is, are you going to violate the law? Now, I love this because what happens next, according to Scripture, is that the... Um, is that the, the master teacher, it says, leans down and writes something in the dirt. Now, I love the mystery of that because nobody knows what was written. So we get to make some stuff up, don't we? We get to make the stuff up because, here's what I have made up so far. Now, let, let, I have to say, I don't know. The theologians, the ones who study this as their life's work, they don't know. I'm not pretending I know, but there's stuff I just choose to know for me. And in this case, I'm knowing it for me, but since I'm on mic, you get to hear it. So look, if I were right now to do that, if I were to take a piece of, first of all, I'd be in plenty of trouble. But let's just say I had paper here. <laughs> I came down with my marker and I began to write something, what would y'all do? Lean in. There wouldn't be, a, and except the ones who already sleep. They wouldn't know I was up here writing nothing, so they wouldn't move. They, it wouldn't change anything for them. But for the rest of you, you would be busy peeking, wouldn't you? So doesn't that change the energy and the focus? You see what I'm saying? So... He leans down, he writes something in the dirt. <laughs> now they have her standing here, ready to get stoned or, or to see what's going to happen. But he has changed the focus. Trust divine guidance. You see what I'm saying? So the focus has shifted. So it's no longer, for however long it takes, milliseconds is, might be all it is but it shifts in a way where we're no longer looking at her and thinking about what ought to happen to her or not. The focus has shifted. Yeah, can you go with me? Yes, so the focus has shifted, and that's really all we need. Because in the, the very next thing, when he stood up, he says, he among you who is without sin, let that one cast the first stone. So, but he speaks that into a different energy. The energy is no longer, we've broken the, the, the line of consciousness from looking at her in judgment and fear and whatever comes up. He's speaking into a newness. He's speaking where? Into a curiosity. He's speaking into a curiosity. And I feel like that's really powerful. I don't want us to miss that. Yes? 
And what is he saying in common parlance? He's saying, you need to talk to the one in the mirror. What are the lyrics to Michael Jackson's song? I'm starting with the one in the mirror. Yes, I'm asking that one. That's who I'm dealing with. I'm not out here with her and him and them. I'm starting with the one in the mirror. Isn't that what the master teacher is saying in his time? He's saying, whoever can, so go on, get in the mirror, and if you can leave the mirror still with that same thing, if you are willing to trust divine guidance, if you're truly in, there's no way you leave the mirror with an assignment for somebody else. Because that mirror has you so busy. You know, we've did, we did mirror work over the summer, didn't we? And this isn't the first summer we've done it. We're probably going to do some this summer, too. Let me just put you on notice. And in the fall, we're going to, because we need it. Exactly. That's somebody said. We still need it. So we're going to do it till we no longer need it. But in our process of doing our mirror work, <laughs> we don't, if you leave there with some idea for somebody else, get right back in the mirror. Because something went wrong. So that's essentially what the master teacher is charging and challenging them. And he speaks this, as I said, into this, this void of curiosity. What, what is he up there doing? What he's doing is calling you out of how you've been. So something else can happen in this moment creating a newness so a new opportunity is revealed, a new way of being, a new way of seeing, sensing, and doing. So in this, it's a mystical mirror, isn't it? Even when we do our mirror work, if you're really doing the miracle, the mirror work, you begin to see the mysticism in it. Probably not when you first glance, at first glance, you see that your hair is out of order. Or you see that you got a little crust in the corner of your eye. Or you start, you, that's, that's typically where we start. We start seeing stuff. What, I thought my eye, what, what is my ears aren't even? Whatever you start seeing. But as you do the, the focused work, all of that disappears. Come on now, I'm not the only one. As we do the work, all of that surface stuff disappears for us. And instead, we begin to see the truth of our being, the divine opportunity in which we live. And we might ask ourselves, well, now I'm asking you, who or what do we see? In the mystical mirror, who or what do we see? At some point, if we're really do, if, if we surrender fully, and I don't know how long that takes. It takes what it takes. It may take decades. It may take mere minutes. I don't know what it takes. But whatever it takes, it reveals the divine. It's a moment where you get to see whether you are who you intend to be.
who you desire to be. And it's an opportunity. It's from that place, from that awareness, from seeing through the mystical mirror, through the veil, through the mask. And it's in that presence, it's in that energetic presence, it's in that attitude, in that consciousness that we choose to make a conscious, intentional, and beneficial change in who and how we be. This is a different, this shift is unfolding, is coming from a different place than just that idea that we've all had is, I'm not going to do that no more. I'm going to change. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not going to argue with so-and-so. I'm not going to judge so-and-so. I'm not going to, you know, we've all had those moments. With children, with our loved ones, with I'm just, I'm just not. <laughs> and then you find yourself right in the process of doing what you said you were going to do. I have literally found food in my mouth that I said I wouldn't eat no more. Not doing sugar anymore. Because I'll just acknowledge an addiction. And then I will come to myself with candy in my mouth. And frankly, down my throat and on its way into the whole thing, you know. But I use that to remind me of this process. That it takes more than simply saying, I'm not going to do that no more. There, it requires a deeper shift. Oh, I love the scene. I, I feel like I want us to act this out at some point. Because in that moment, remember, we're all the woman. So we're over here standing. I know, well, unless we have like a suicide wish, we are here in fear. Because not only have you been brought into this group, first you're embarrassed, the humiliation, all of it, and your life is on the line. There are many ways that people's lives can be taken. Stoning would have to be one of the worst. I mean, I'm not trying to get the list set and all that, but when I think about stoning someone to death, that has to be, I'm like, who are the people who will do this? And it has to be horrendous for the person being stoned. So this is us, because we've condemned ourselves, remember? We caught ourselves doing what we shouldn't ought to have done, or not doing what we know we should have been doing. But regardless of what it was, we have condemned us to one of the worst fates. This is us. This story is about us. They just didn't name us to protect us. But it's us. Each and every one of us is that woman standing. But can you begin to see, imagine, they didn't mention this in the story, so it becomes my job to ask you. 
what do you think is now on her mind? Because when he asked them, who among you? Let the first one who don't have nothing throw that stone. And what happens is people begin leaving. So this is you. You're standing here. You've done whatever you can because you know the fate is certain. And now people are leaving. The ones who were prepared. And some may have immediately picked up a stone when the story was being told. You, you know people. Some of them would have been you. As, they, as it first starts, they're like, oh, shoot, I'm going to need a stone. And they get a stone. They're ready. And she can see all this. But now they're leaving, and I'm imagining dropping their stones as they go. Thank you. Somebody knows. Look. The master teacher is said to... Now, see, sometimes reading scripture has its challenges not because of the true message, but the idea that somebody literally put quotation marks. And in our culture, quotation marks have a very specific use. So with a clean heart, we just forgive the quotation marks. And we just understand that someone is wanting to give us a sense of what unfolds because it's impossible to know. So the quotation marks and putting it in red and all that is just, forgive me, it's a little extra. And sometimes I feel like it takes us away from the power of the story and discourages us from, from breathing life into it because a quotation limits it to exactly that. So in this particular translation, the master teacher, who is then left with just he and the woman. Now remember, the woman is you, us, all of us. So that means I'm left here with the divine, with the Christ consciousness. When all of this happens and shifts, I am left with just me and the Christ consciousness. Now, somebody here, the wisest among us, knows that that's not possible because there's only one. So I'm left in my Christ consciousness. And what I hear, think, believe, sense is this. Where are they? Those who were, who were here to condemn you. This is my thinking. This is my inner work. Where is that condemnation? In a word, what's up with that? Not even one, she said. He asked specifically, has anyone condemned you? And she said, not even one. Nobody was left. So I'm not pretending that this is like a real conversation that we can report on. It's the inner work. It's the inner work that no one has condemned you. You are doing all that work yourself. The master teacher 
then responds, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, don't make that mistake again. Learn from this. Sin no more. Sin is missing the mark. It's making a mistake. So go and sin no more. Go and don't, don't make that mistake. But your mama probably told you that. Don't, don't do that again. We, we got that straight, right? So I know there's a lot you don't know. There's a lot you haven't experienced. There's a lot that you have yet to master. But this right here that you've just been through, do whatever you have to do so you're not here again. God as my witness. I'll never be in this specific situation again. I'm going to make some mistakes, but I'll never be in this situation, circumstance again. Does this make sense? Okay. So our theme for this month is expectancy. And I'm going to, your homework, your life work, should you choose to accept it, is how do you link in expectancy, the principle, the divine principle of expectancy with this story of your life? And this Bible scripture is your life. It's you. And that idea of adultery was just giving an example of what's the worst thing that you've condemned yourself for. because some of y'all have been stoning yourselves. Been really assaulting, abusing ourselves. I want to remind you that T.S. Eliot said, Your present, our present circumstances do not determine where we can go. They merely determine where we are at the moment. <laughs> so, come on, woman. Caught in the act, condemned all the stuff. None of that determines what you can do next. It just determines that you're starting from that point of realization that point of knowingness, of willingness, of, of availability in that, yeah? Somebody is going to stand for us. Somebody is going to be a witness for us. Someone is going to defend us. It might help to remember that love is always in the room. It's in you. It is you. It's not just in you, it's as you. It is you. So whatever is happening. Now, I'm not pretending that you can always get there. I'm not pretending that I can always get there. And by get there, I mean to the realization that I had it all the time. By right of birth, by right of life, by right of consciousness. So what it means is that we must set our lives up in ways. You know, I don't know if you got a practitioner 
on speed dial. If not, I'm going to suggest that you might want to just set that up so that you, you have some resources that are readily available to you. Because we know, we, here's the thing. Look, remember how week before last, when I was last speaking, I had you focused on that lower left quadrant of our, our map, our, our flow in consciousness. And so just go to the, to the one where that's larger so we can focus on that. So my sense is that this is a perfect sketch of the woman. Can you see that? And this is us, that we've been dragged in by us, us been dragged in by us, about us, with the accusation and the fact that this notion of being caught in the act means there's no question about it. So there's no defense. You, you, I love that you have to let go of any defense. Well, it wasn't me. I wasn't there. I was, you know, it was whatever that was. You were right there. So you have, it's a Martha Nevandella's moment for you, isn't it? Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Yeah. That's the way we've set it up for ourselves. Because otherwise, if we've given ourselves a way out, we don't have that same level of condemnation. And we can deny that we feel the way we really feel. That we think the way we're thinking about ourselves. And so I love that this picture, really, this little image here, really allows us to see the woman in us. That, a certain woman in us, where, where we feel like, oh, Lord, what, has, what have I done now? Oh, Lord, I am truly a victim. And race consciousness permeates my perception of me, my situation, my circumstance. <clears throat> and so my sense is, in working with this, working from this, the idea in, in delving more deeply is to get a sense of how to recognize and negotiate what has power in your life. What has power in your life? Remember, we started being terrified. We started being totally terrified of what is going to happen to me because I'm dead to wrong. What is going to happen to me? And in her case, she knew what was going to happen to her because it was prescribed by law. My sense is that folks at that time and in that, and in that geographic, geographical location had all, much like in the South, where so many were not necessarily participants in lynchings, although there were many 
legions of folks who participated in some way. But whether one participated, so many saw it. Either as it was unfolding, as it was, or we saw the remnants of it. I mean, after all, they published postcards. So we know very specifically what has been prescribed as the punishment. But it's said, and some of you as parents know this, that if you ask the child, well, what should happen now? Oftentimes, the child will prescribe something more severe than you would have. It would not have even occurred to you to have held them at that level. Now, that's not all children, but for some, that's true. Yes? Well, somebody hears me. <clears throat> so what has power in your life? What are you giving your power to? Where, where are you sensing the power is in your life? And that's a, I'm going to have that not be a rhetorical question. I want you working with that. Where is, as you are in the mystical mirror, where are you sensing your power is? The power in your life, where is it? Y'all are mass, so it's hard to hear y'all. Y'all at home, put it in the chat. Where is your power? Say it louder for someone. The power is within you. Your connection with source. Money? Come on, keep it real. Where's the power? In forgiveness. The power's in forgiveness, she said. What does this mean? In your heart. Okay, thank you. I didn't want to put words in your mouth. What else? Power's in love. Okay, what else? In creativity. The power's in creativity. The power's in intuition. The power is in strength. The power is in connection. The power is in listening and in resilience. Y'all are going with it. Where is the power? And who and how am I now in the realization of that? Who am I just in acknowledging that I know there's power in my life and kind of locating it, discerning where the power is, and not pretending like I know everywhere it is, but at least I'm able to declare from a place of honest inquiry where there is power in my life. And thank you for those of you who put in the chat as well. What I want you to know is that there's no one, you know, like perfect answer. Because in your life, it's wherever you think it is. There's that. So you may think it's in the neighbors. Well, the neighbor's dog who is, you know, has you running in circles around how you're going to deal with that. Or you may think it's in the courts if you have business around legal endeavors with that. But whatever you say, 
Whatever you're declaring in the mystical mirror, that's what's true for you. This is why this mind training that we are leading, we're, we're taking our time getting there because I want to make sure we understand or we, we're uh, less about understanding but gleaning a sense of the importance of it and the benefit of conscious, intentional mind training. Yes? Because we're being trained a lot. Media, social media. We, oh, there's so many sources now. There didn't used to be. Remember, there was a time when we talked about subliminal for commercials, and I'm like, forget that now, because it's just the bombarding of it all. We are being trained with a nod to Pavlov's dogs and his laboratory work of what, will, what is it that will have us operating just automatically without thinking. This is why our mystical mirror work, one of the many reasons why it's so beneficial because it puts us in a frame of mind of open inquiry, no longer just in the mode of assumption. If this, then that, of judgment. Ooh, we have work to do, y'all. We really do have work to do. Genevieve Barron, whose work we love. We have, many of us have taken a class that Heart and Soul offers where this is the, the text, your invisible power. Genevieve Barron writes, the power within you which enables you to form a thought picture is the starting point of all there is. It's your imagination. That part in you that can form a picture of you walking away from condemnation, of you setting, being set free, of you having the power that is in your imagination. There are so many stories, some true, some mythological, where folks are trapped in whatever the situation is and they, it, something, while they're there, fires their imagination. And they begin to see from a different circumstance. Now some just dig in. So maybe they're held, maybe they are incarcerated, literally in the penal system. And they spend their time reminding themselves that they're incarcerated and in the penal system, and it's just, they're just more and more incarcerated and in the penal system by every metric. And then there's some folks who the story they tell once they're out is that they never fully accepted being imprisoned. Their body was. They'll say there's so many. They've written books and on speaking tours and such and interviews. Their body was imprisoned. That they couldn't like effect. But they could determine what was going on at the mind heart level. And they did, which was very different than the experience of those who gave up and just like accepted their fate. 
And this is why I love this biblical story. Because she was, so it's not like, but I'm innocent. She's like, yeah, caught in, in. and still walks away uncondemned. That's us. That story is for us to remind us of what's possible. Yeah. Y'all not, I don't know. I'm going to talk to y'all at home. Because these people here have fallen asleep, Lord. I think they just don't, yeah, because look. Oh, <laughs> y'all need to know at home that they are declaring they're mesmerized, <laughs> that that's what's happening. So you understand. Just go ahead, me and you in the chat. Let's do it. As a man thinketh, so is he. As we think, so we are. So for every thought of condemnation, so we are condemned. And as we choose, likewise, so we are, and so is nature, which means what we're, our life, our experience. So is our experience out of what we choose, and we choose from a consciousness, by right of consciousness. We say that, we throw that around, and what it means is you are never going to move past your belief system. You just, it's not possible. It's a rubber band kind of thing. This is why mind training is essential. This is why they say that if somebody wins the lotto, if they haven't changed nothing but the amount in their bank account, it's going to soon be like it was. Well, maybe not soon, but at some point that rubber band is going to pull because they have not retrained their mind. They do not see themselves as uh, they do not see themselves as a wealthy person. And they're not making choices from that. That's what this is. So as we choose, that becomes our nature, our life experience. Does that make sense? Okay, to a few people. All right, all right. Y'all working me this morning. So look, <clears throat> we'll close with this. Dr. Daniel Morgan, in Guidance for a Spiritual Journey, this is the May 4th that I asked you to, to spend some time with. And I'm still going to ask you to spend some time with this, and then we're going to move to May 6th. Even though I know it's already today is May 21st, we got to do the work we got to do. So in this, he's talking about missing the mark, which we know is sin. That's what he's talking about, this idea of making a mistake. So he says, along the path of life, all of us have done things we had no business doing and we've left undone those things we ought to have done. All of us are guilty, if that's the standard. Yes, we've made the mistake, we've sinned. Excuses and self-defense and self-righteousness leave you with your sins compounded. So every time you try to explain it, you're just most sinful. Because that's a mistake, to try to defend it. You, you understand what I'm saying? To try to explain it, to try to defend it. Just own it. Take responsibility. We're going to... No, I can't tell you what we're going to do. Let me stay with what we're doing. He says, even an unintentional mistake becomes an error. It starts as a mistake. It elevates to an error when you try to defend it. But a mistake can turn into a source of strength when you face it fairly. Come on, Dr. Dan, just own it. Admit it. 
this is a place of high judgment for me. You know, just own the thing. But when you start squirreling around, I'm done. I'm done. Don't make it up no mess to t- Oh, now, okay. This isn't, I've stopped preaching and gone into something else. Um, uh-huh. When you fa- okay, but a mistake can turn into a source of strength when you face it fairly, when you stand in it and own it. Sister just stood there. Well, the way the story is told. She didn't like, well, my husband, he don't. And, you know, my parents, they didn't. It, you just are there available for the divine shift, which can't happen while you're squirreling around. God's mercy, he says, is wider than our guilt. Anybody will forgive an honest mistake, honestly confess, but nobody will forgive an honest mistake when you excuse it or you deny it or you deny that it even was a mistake. We should just face up to the fears we're ashamed to admit. Our failure, he says, to come to terms with our personal animosities, our careless handling of finances, our lack of faith, our thin devotional life, our strained family relations, our weaknesses as human beings, our impatience, and our selfish ambition. And then he quotes that line in Scripture, John 8 and 11, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. It's the Christ consciousness is that there's no condemnation. But you have to own that. So it's go and stop making that mistake. Act like you learned something from this. Bless this and know that it has been beneficial. This idea that's contained in this is rising above it. Stuff happens. You make mistakes. Own it and rise above. Elevate your life beyond the level of that mistake. 